Welcome to episode three, episode three of a journey through the fantastical, an audio podcast where uh, I talk about things, AKA (laughs) music, games, movies, TV shows, books, whatever it may be that I deem fantastical. My name is Josh. I'm your host as is obvious as predicated by the last two episodes in the intro, but here we are. Um, I've been waiting for this one for quite some time. I've been anxious for this one. I've been excited for this one. This episode is my game of the year list for 2023. Couple stipulations before we get into it. First and foremost, this is my game of the year list for 2023 of games that I played that released in 2023. So yes, games that released in previous years, but I did spend time playing are not going to be included on the list. That is just a personal rule that I have. Um, if other people want to include other years games on their list because they primarily played those games, that's more power to them. I'm not going to fault them for that. It's the games that they played. It's the games that they enjoyed. And that's fucking awesome. Everybody should be enjoying games. Another thing I want to get at before we actually get into the list. Um, I'll Let me just say this. I said it last episode. Even when we were not talking about games, I want to talk about it right now as well, is that 2023, in my opinion, was the best game, best game, the best year we've ever had in video games. Um, I said it was the best year we've ever had in music for the music that I personally listen to, but I truly believe that this is also the best year of games that we've ever had. Um, And yes, like I'm including the years Halo 3 came out, Mass Effect, all that stuff. Like I truly believe that this is... In my lifetime, this is the best year of games that we've ever had. But it sucks that it feels like we have to put an asterisk on that year because of all the layoffs that happened within the industry. Uh, 2023 was an unprecedented year of layoffs in the video games industry. So much so that based on an unofficial report, over 9,000 employees have been laid off within the video game industry over the course of 2023. Um, this is not a complete list, but some notable names, some, well, some notable publishers and developers in the industry that had layoffs include Epic Games, Embracer Group, seriously, fuck them. For those who don't know about Embracer Group, I highly recommend you go look into them a little more and you will probably have a, uh, as much of a disgust for them as I do at this point in time, because basically They bit off way more than they could chew, and they decided that, hey, we have a lot of money, so let's just buy everyone. And I'm not talking about like a Microsoft sense where like Microsoft has so many more avenues for revenue and not just video games, obviously, but Embracer were like, yo, we're going to fucking buy all of these video game developers and publishers, and they're going to just, they're going to make us money. It's going to be great. And then... No, no, so much. No, that they then decided that they're just going to lay off a shit ton of people and, uh, close studios 
and fucking fuck them. Fuck Embracer Group. Fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. Other notable names include Hasbro, EA, BioWare, Microsoft, Bungie, Naughty Dog, Ubisoft, Amazon, CD Projekt Red, who unionize after the fact, by the way. Thank God. Sega, Unity, Activision Blizzard, Digital Extremes, Telltale Games, Ascendant Studios, Volition, now shut down by Embracer, again, fuck them, and many, many more. Again, that was a short list, but if you could, if you listen to some of the names included in that list, it, it's unfucking believable. So I stand by when I said that I believe that 2023 is the best year of video games that we've ever had. But the problem is, and this was echoed by Ben Starr, uh, Ben Starr, the voice of Clive Rossfield in Final Fantasy 16, by the way, but it was echoed by, it was echoed by Ben that a lot of the people who wanted this, who wanted to be able to celebrate the games that they made in the year 2023, like at the game awards were unfortunately not able to, because they were let go and they're no longer at those studios anymore. And it's fucking sad. It's not just sad. It's fucking terrible. Their livelihoods were lost because they were doing the thing that they loved to do, which is make games. And I, I love video games. I have since I was a child. I still love them today. Maybe even more so. Maybe I have a better, a better appreciation for them now. And the people behind them and the work and the hours and the dedication to the craft that they have to put in day in, day out to make something that hopefully somebody else enjoys, or at least hopefully they just enjoy the ones that are making it. Video games are an art form. Video games, in my opinion, are one of the best art forms that we have in media today. If not the best. Video games, they make you feel differently. They transport you to different worlds. They introduce you to brand new characters. They, they tell, I mean, it's in the title of the show. They tell fantastical stories. They create memorable moments. They leave a lasting impact on not just myself, but countless others around the world. And it's just incredibly frustrating that thousands of people's livelihoods were lost because of corporate greed. It's just fucking terrible. So to everybody that was, everybody out there that's been affected by these layoffs, to everybody that's going to be affected by layoffs in the future, because I have a feeling that they're not going to end. I hope that they, I hope they do. And at the very least, I hope they slow down, but to everybody affected, I'm so sorry. I hope you, I hope you're able to get back on your feet as soon as possible and get back to what you love doing, which is hopefully still making games because we appreciate you and not enough can not enough good things can be said about the things that you guys do, the things that you guys create. So thank you. I wanted to open the show with that because I feel it's incredibly important to talk about the good and the bad, right? I can't just sit here and say that, oh my God, this is the best year ever for games. So many great games released and fuck yeah, 
years to 2024. No, 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 no. Because while a great amount of games came out this year that are, that are genuinely amazing, there was a lot of bad shit behind a lot of this as well. And I feel like it's important to call that stuff out. Is if we don't call it out, then we're kind of complicit to it. Now, how big of a year was 2023 for video games? Let me tell you. Oh, my God. 2023 was fucking massive. It was genuinely massive. I went through. I'm going to quickly run through a list of larger releases that came out just in 2023. We're going to go month by month, okay? So. Major games released in 2023. I am I'm guaranteed that I am missing some of them. I'm guaranteed I am. And if I don't say your favorite on this list, then don't be mad at me. Just know that, like, I, maybe I didn't include it because either I didn't see it or I didn't think it was a quote-unquote big enough release. But regard, it doesn't fucking matter. Here is the list that I have. These are not my top 10 or anything like that. I'm just like, these are major releases that released during the year of 2023. In January was Hi-Fi Rush and Dead Space Remake. In February, Metroid Prime Remastered, Hogwarts Legacy, Wild Hearts, Atomic Heart, Like a Dragon Ishian, Company of Heroes 3, Octopath Traveler 2, Destiny 2 Lifefall. March was Wolong Fallen Dynasty, Resident Evil 4 Remake, and Dredge. April was Minecraft Legends, Horizon Forbidden West, The Burning Shores DLC, Dead Island 2, Honkai Star, Star Rail, Jedi, uh, Jesus Christ, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. In May, Darkest Dungeon 2, Marvel's Midnight Suns, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and System Shock, that reboot. In June was Street Fighter 6, Diablo 4, Final Fantasy 16, and Dave the Diver. In July was Pikmin 4 and Remnant 2. In August was Baldur's Gate 3, Immortals of Avium, Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, and Sea of Stars. In September was Starfield, the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, the Hidden Treasure of Area Zero, the Teal Mass DLC. That's a fucking mouthful. Lies of P, Mortal Kombat 1, the Cyber... Uh, Cyber <laughs> Words are really hard for me tonight. Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty DLC, and Counter-Strike 2. In October was Assassin's Creed Mirage, Forza Motorsport, Lords of the Fallen, Sonic Superstars, Marvel Spider-Man 2, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, Alan Wake 2, and Jusant. In November was Blasphemous 2, Robocop Rogue City, The Talos Principle 2, Like a Dragon Gaiden, The Man Who Erased His Name, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, and Super Mario RPG Remake. And in December was Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, The Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, The Hidden Treasure of Area Zero, The Indigo Disc DLC, again a fucking mouthful, and God of War Ragnarok Valhalla, another DLC which was 100% free and basically got shadow dropped after the Game Awards. Dramatic pause. Those are just some of the major titles that were released in 2023. That's fucking insane. Absolutely insane. So clearly we have a lot to talk about today, right? This is my list. My favorite games that I played during the year of 2023 that released in the year of 2023 we have a few to talk about, but before we get into the actual top 10 list, I have some honorable mentions. So, without further ado, let's kick things off. Honorable mentions. I'm going to start with some DLC. DLC that released in 2023. The reason why I'm including these in honorable mentions is because previously I would include these in my top 10 list. 
But I decided, you know what? We're just going to leave the top 10 to full-blown releases, not DLC. Here we go. My two DLCs in the honorable mentions, we have Destiny 2 Lightfall. I'm a big Destiny fan. I've always been a big Destiny fan. But let me just tell you this right now. Destiny 2 Lightfall was easily the worst storyline we've ever received from a mainline Destiny 2 expansion, but the gameplay system updates surrounding the expansion have been nothing short of remarkable for the entire game. The shitty part is, is that I can't in good conscience recommend Destiny to a brand new player in 2024 because I still stand by the thought that Destiny is some of the best shooting mechanics in the genre and the seasonal stories have only been getting better as we gear up for the final light and darkness expansion of the final shape. But the reason why I cannot recommend it to new players is because of how convoluted it is from a story perspective and how it's not the easiest thing to get into from a story perspective. You're not going to know what's going on. And that's the shitty part. Bungie is not giving p- players an easy route into what the story is for Destiny 2. So I, it's really hard for me to recommend to a brand new player. And that's kind of another reason why I'm including an honorable mentions here, because I still love the gameplay of it. I think it's second to none in first person shooters. I truly believe that. And the systems have only gotten better with the release of the Lightfall expansion. But again, it is what it is. If you're a new player out there and you never played Destiny before, I'm sorry, because Well, you can obviously give it a shot if you want. The base game is free. You don't get a whole lot, but the base game is free. I just, the shooting is phenomenal. It's so, it's so good. It feels so good to play. But yeah, that's an honorable mention. My second DLC honorable mention is Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. It is miles ahead from the base game in terms of story. And that was known from simply playing the first two hours of the expansion. That, coupled with the 2.0 update to the base game, has finally brought around Cyberpunk's No Man's Sky moment. And I still fucking hate how that is a thing we measure game comebacks by. Look, the game's good now, guys. Like, very good now. I still have my issues with how things within the open world function, but overall, Cyberpunk, and especially the Phantom Liberty expansion, are now easily recommends for 2024. Um... So yeah, if you were on the ropes about wanting to get into Cyberpunk before, I think it's you have there's never a better opportunity to jump in now. Uh, Cy- uh, Phantom Liberty is going to be the only expansion we get, so you don't have to think that we're going to be getting something else down the line. Uh, they, I believe they've said, CD Projekt Red, I believe they've said that Phantom Liberty is it. So jump in. It's good on modern consoles now. Um, it's good on PC now. The 2.0 update fixed so much and added so much to the overall base experience. And Phantom Liberty just expands upon it, and the story is genuinely really fucking good. Way, way better than the base game had any right to be. So I'm not mad about it. All right, let's get into some games for the honorable mentions. First up, Cocoon. It's got a very cool and unique gameplay mechanic with the world traversal and a quick ride. It's only around five hours or so. Uh, I just, it it didn't make it into my top 10, but if you're looking for in any title that has a very, very cool mechanic in terms of world traversal and interaction with the world itself. And again, it's only five hours or so, like depending upon it is a puzzle esque game 
Um, you really only interact with things via one button press. There's no dialogue whatsoever. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for that type of experience, give it a shot. Again, it's very, it's relatively short, especially with considering the other games that released this year. And it, it does have a very, very cool mechanic to it. So go check it out. Next up was Dave, the diver. It, to be honest with you, it didn't grip me like others who played it during 2023. Um, I didn't have a bad time with it at all or anything like that. It just didn't like, it wasn't that slam dunk home run that a lot of other people were talking about it over the course of last year. So yeah, just didn't really jive with me. It wasn't bad by any means, but it has some charm to it. Um, but yeah, if you're any, if you're interested in that type of game, for those who don't know what Dave, the diver is, um, I'm not even going to classify it in indie. That's a whole other diatribe, but regardless, um, David Diver is a, like, it's a fishing game, kinda. So, it starts off as you go on a boat, and you're trying to capture fish and whatnot, and then you're bringing those fish back to a sushi bar, and then you have to make the sushi, um, to, to serve guests that come in and out, and then, like, you earn money, and so on, you upgrade your stuff, you are able to dive deeper, catch bigger things, catch better things, find hidden stuff. It's it's it, that whole thing. Um, not a bad game by any means, but again, it just didn't really grip me. And then this one, okay. This one felt like it was a critical darling for 2023. And I respect it. I respect it. I don't think it's as good as other people are talking about. Hi-Fi Rush. This, if there was a style of the year award, this would win it hands down. This game has style oozing out of its ass. Like it's, it is style from the moment the, the fucking, the title screen appears, right? Maybe even before that, like it's just, it oozes style, but style to me does not make it the game. Um, being able to buy different moves. So here's how high, here's how Hi-Fi Rush functions, right? Hi-Fi Rush, you are a person and basically you go to a place you go to like a uh, like a plant that is supposed to give you like prosthetics we could say more like robotics but basically you're there to get a robotic arm just so you could like live better um but the problem is is that you become a quote unquote defect because during the process of getting the arm or getting the upgrades, whatever it is, your MP3 player lands on your chest and that becomes like you are now infused with your MP3 player. It's a rhythm based action adventure game. Um, and it's, it's heavily revolved around the music and the rhythm of the gameplay itself. So like music will be playing in the background of everything that you do and the environment interacts with the music as well. And you see a beat that is playing. And you interact with that beat. So, like, if, you, if you're if you attacking with the beat, you do more damage. But the beautiful part is you don't have to play by the beat. So, like, if, you, if you're not able to hold the beat, you don't need to worry about that. Because your character will always attack on the beat, no matter when you press your buttons. So, that's cool. From an accessibility standpoint, that is awesome. That's It's really cool that they're allowing players more means to be able to play this game like players who don't like rhythm games or aren't really aren't very good at them, whatever it may be, they can play this and not have to worry about that. That is really cool. I love that. And you 
can buy different moves and special moves and items, which makes for a very customized combat experience. It can be fun to experiment with. That's very cool. But here's where, here's where I have problems. And this is why it's an honorable mention, not my top 10. Partway through the game, the main character breaks the fourth wall, which happens quite frequently, for being honest, and says that an aspect of the game felt like a tutorial. Well, the fact that I'm still learning basic functionality, a.k.a. a parry, a couple hours into an already shorter game, roughly 11, a lot of the game has felt like a tutorial up to that point. And guess what? That just keeps happening. Like, they, they keep pushing new... And they're not even new. Like, they're baseline mechanics on you, but they're so far down the road, it's like a new enemy pops up, and now you have to do this thing. And now we're going to teach you about this thing. Motherfucker, I'm three hours in this game right now. I should already know what I need to do. Like, why are you imposing these new things right now? Like, I feel like I'm just... It just it just slows things down to an absolute crawl at that point. And it's it's upsetting to me. And then there there have been some laugh out loud moments. Um, but most of the time it feels like the game's just trying too hard to be funny, which ends up leading to more eye roll moments. Like I'm not kidding. When I, when I started the game, there were two or three literal moments where I laughed out loud to myself because like, that's fucking hilarious. But then as the game continues, I'm like, this is, can we just get to the point, please? Um, Maybe I'm being a fucking curmudgeon or something, but it's just, it's, it's upset. I don't know. I fucking know. Um, here's the other problem. And again, I respect it for what the game is trying to do. It's a $30 thing, right? It's not a full blown 60, $70 game. It's like 30 bucks. It's on game pass. So if you have game pass, you can give it a shot. It just feels so, it just feels so scripted in a sense of the word. What I mean by that is here is how the game breaks down, right? This is, this is how it goes. You start a mission, right? Like it's not open world or anything like that. It's, it's very heavily scripted and you, and you like, you have missions like literal back in the day mission select, right? So a cutscene, an introduction to the mission happens. Then you have a platforming section and then you have a combat section, but it's that combat section is split into back to back combat sections, which just draws out the section longer than it needs to be. What I mean by that is you you're running through a little area. It's like heavily corridor specific. Like you can't really navigate separately. You can't explore very much. There are some areas, but it's mainly you're on your direct path, right? Um, and then you get into a room and then the room, like basically fake barriers pop up around the room. Now the combat section starts. You defeat all the enemies, which are like maybe four or five enemies in that combat section. And then you have a very short, like three second cutscene, which literally the camera just turns back around to look at your character. And your character says a stupid one liner, flips the camera back around. And then there's five more enemies that you have to kill. And then once you do that, now those fake barriers are brought down and now you can continue on to another platforming section. It's just, to be honest with you, it's it's monotonous and it's mundane. Like, yeah, it, the game oozes style. Like, the game looks cool. It feels cool. Like, it, you know, but it's not, I'm sorry, but to me, it just wasn't that fun. And then you just rinse and repeat that until the mission's over, and then you're transported back to whatever hideout is, is selected that given time. And then you just pick the next mission, you keep going. 
And here's my other... Clearly, this game was never going to make my top 10. But I'm putting it in the honorable mentions because I know people love this game. Like, I know people that have played this love it, right? It's a critical darling of this year. Or not this year, but 2023. So a lot of people enjoyed this. I saw this fucker getting nines and tens. I'm like, what are... What? So, the music... I think it's all right. But honestly, besides the boss fights, the music isn't too memorable. And for a game that's based around the music and the rhythm thereof, it just feels more like a dull point than a high point. Like, is it cool that the environment moves to the beat of the music? Yeah, that's that's cool. Again, style. It's style. When, when your character is just sitting there idle, like your character will snap to the beat. Again, style, right? It's just... I feel like, I don't know. It, it Maybe this just wasn't for me, but like I was, I was excited. I, I heard so many good things about this. And, and if you do love this game, then I'm sorry if I feel like I'm shitting on it. Um, it's just clearly maybe I had some different expectations going into it because when you start playing it and you're collecting um, all these gears and whatnot, because that's your currency, right? There's no there's no microtransactions or anything like that. It's all in-game stuff um, to, like, buy different moves, like combat moves, special moves, so on and so forth, which are cool. Like, the special moves are cool and whatnot. But I, when I was running through that and I was breaking crates and everything, it reminded me of Ratchet and & Clank. And I'm like, oh, my God, is that what this is kind of going to be like? A little Ratchet & Clank platforming action? I fucking love Ratchet and & Clank. And then, no... And that's not a bad thing. Like the, it's trying to, it's a, it's its own thing. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's clearly its own game. It's its own, it's its own thing, which is 1000% fine. It's just, it did not work for me. I think that maybe, maybe I didn't play this at the right time. Maybe I should have played it when it immediately came out because it kind of, it did shadow drop at the beginning of that year, but yeah, maybe I waited too long. I don't know. I just don't think it's as good as everybody else is saying, but that's just my opinion. So there you go. And then another one that's going to piss people off, but I'll keep this one kind of shorter is resident evil Four remake. This was close to being in my top 10. It was close. Um, again, while I understand and respect the appeal and admiration of this remake, it is a very well done remake. I will 1000% say that. I think I've come to the conclusion that the Resident Evil franchise is just not for me personally. I had my fair share of fun in five, um, like playing co-op with buddies, you know, but I don't know. I, I never really played through a full uh, Resident Evil game before. I never played through four in its entirety before. So I thought this was going to be my first real chance to be like, okay, I love modern gameplay systems and with modern gameplay systems and in this critically acclaimed masterpiece is what people are talking about. I should give it a shot. I should give it a fair shake. And I think I did give it a fair shake. And there were moments that hooked me during my playtime, but there was never a moment strong enough that made me want to push through and finish it. So again, I didn't finish for remake. Um, I tried getting through as much as I could. It's just, I don't know. It, it is what it is. I, maybe I'm just not a Resident Evil guy. I, were, I really wanted to give it a fair shake. I think I did. And... Yeah, came to the conclusion, not really for me, and that's perfectly fine. Again, if you love Resident Evil 4 Remake, which a shit ton of people do, more power to you. I'm so glad you got what you wanted um, in this remake. And yeah, 
here's hoping you get more in the future because I know people have been clamoring for more as well. So there you go. That's it for the honorable mentions. It's time to get into the top 10. My top 10 games of 2023. Now I'll say this. Um, if you know me, then you, you're probably going to understand a couple that are going to be on this list no matter what. It just where they place on the list may or may not surprise you. But I will say this. I genuinely think number one is going to surprise everybody. I genuinely think my number one will surprise anybody that listens to this. So without further ado, let's get into the top 10. Number 10. My number 10 game of 2023 is none other than, again, I said that Resident Evil 4 Remake was close to being number 10, okay? But the game that actually made number 10, Forza Motorsport. Welcome to Forza. Forza Motorsport, ladies and gentlemen, number 10 game of 2023. Let's talk about it. What What is there to talk about? It's fucking Forza. I love Forza. I love Forza Motorsport. I love Forza Horizon. When a Forza game comes out, I play the Forza game. I like the Forza game. It's pretty great. Everything from the racing, sound design, and visuals are top-notch. Okay? That's a given. It's expected. It's supposed to be a showpiece for the consoles and i think it was i think it is but i do have one major point that irks me and it's the mandatory practice laps before being able to compete in the actual races of the campaign now why is that a quote-unquote big deal for me personally so when i play a forza game i just like getting into the races i i don't turn again okay I'm not a purist, okay? I'm not fucking turning off every single assist. I don't use a wheel. I know, fucking blasphemy. I use a fucking controller. It's crazy. For a racing game, dude, I know. Don't judge me. I, pl- I like what I like. I play what I play. But my problem is, is that when I play these games, I just want to get into the career. I want to go through the races. Um, and that's that. And I enjoy my time with that. But my problem with this is that with... Forza Motorsport for 2023, they introduced a new system called Car PG, where they're trying to make it so the more you race that car, the more attached to the car you become, the more XP you earn for the car. And the problem is, is that they force you to do these practice laps for like, it, like I said, I'm not turning all the assists off and whatnot. I'm not using a wheel. Like I, I'm going to be okay without doing practice laps. And you know what the other fucking funny thing is you can choose where you are on the grid. All that happens is you take a credit penalty. Like if you, so if you start at the back of the grid and then you, and then like you, you play, you place first in the race, you earn the maximum amount of credits, right? But if you start at like fifth or sixth in the grid, then you take a credit penalty even by finishing first because you kind of like you cheated your way up through the grid. 
and the funny, the, the hilarious thing is, is that even if you complete the practice laps, they're not qualifying laps, right? Since they're not qualifying laps, completing those practice laps do not, it doesn't boost you in the grid. So you'll still be starting at the back of the grid unless you change your, unless you change your placement. Like how fucking stupid is that? Quit forcing me. It's the one thing I hate about a lot of games is that they force you to do things you don't necessarily want to do or need to do. So I'm not kidding when I say this, if they removed that, this might be higher up in my list, but it's just such a drag to me when a game plays so well as it does and looks and sounds as good as it does. And then, and to then be marred by a dumbass decision, in my opinion, to force to complete practice laps, to then do the same exact thing in the actual race. Like, just let me, let me play the fucking game. I don't, uh, that's number 10 Forza Motorsport. It plays amazing, but that one dumbass system, I wish they'd remove or, or like allow you to not have to do it. Like if you, that's the beautiful part about the Forza Motorsport franchise, right? The Forza Motorsport franchise is Microsoft's sim racing franchise. Like Gran Turismo is for PlayStation. Um, Hence why Forza Horizon is the arcade racer for Microsoft. Um, and so I, I completely understand that a lot of diehard racing fans are turning off all the assists. They are playing with a wheel. They are going through practice laps. They are going through qualifying. They are um, trying to set the best, the best lap times they possibly can and uh, trying to run, drive the, cre- the cleanest laps that they possibly can. Like, I completely respect that because a lot of the core of what Forza Motorsport is, is that, right? But my problem is, is that the, they didn't have to do this. They've never done this in a Forza Motorsport game before. Like, they never forced you to do laps that you didn't want to do before. You could just jump right into the race and have fun. And now I, I think it's due to that car PG situation where you need to get XP for your car to get upgrades and whatnot and like up, up, unlock further upgrades. It's just, it's such a downer for what could be an amazing experience if you just let me play the game the way that I want to. So what are you going to do? It is what it is. But regardless, I still enjoy it. I like the game a lot just besides that one aspect. Um, and again, on Game Pass. So, you know, feel free to try it out if you want to. Taking drinks in between these. If you could not tell by the pauses, I apologize. All right, let's get into it. Number nine. Number nine. My number nine game of 2023. Regardless of how you feel about the individual behind the property, um, AKA fuck you, JK Rowling. My number nine game of 2023 is in fact Hogwarts legacy.
So yeah, Hogwarts Legacy is my number nine game of 2023. What else is there really to say about it? Um, it's a real RPG set in the world of Harry Potter. And the reason why this is on my top 10 list is because 2022 and 2023 were the quote unquote years of Harry Potter for me personally. And I mean that in terms of I finally read through all of the books. I never did that as a kid. So I finally read through all the books and I always enjoy the movies. So the game is exactly what I've been waiting for considering my expectations. Um, the only thing I wish was that the combat was more in depth or the spells were a little more quote unquote magical. If that makes sense. They, they just seem very basic. They don't, they're not bombastic or anything like that. Not that they necessarily were in the movies. It's just like, I just wanted, I wanted more. I wanted to feel more magical, I guess you could say, but you get Hogwarts in there. You get Hogsmeade. You get the grounds around the castle. Like it's just, it's a vibe, man. It's a vibe. Hogwarts legacy. Uh, again, fuck JK Rowling and her stance on things that that'll withstand the test of time. But, um, the, the I've said this on an episode of off the rails, which is another show that my buddy and I do for a, a different thing entirely. But I said it during that, and I'll say it here too, is that she, the the J.K. Rowling thing, is that she didn't make this game, right? Yes, it is her property of Harry Potter that is obviously surrounding all of this, but she wasn't a developer on the game. She isn't the one that spent countless hours recreating this world and creating these brand new characters and creating these, this new storyline and everything. She didn't do that. Like countless other people did. And I think those people should be praised for it. Um, so that's why I say the, the fuck JK Rowling thing, because I stand by that. It's just, it, it's hard to separate like the art from the artist. Right. But this is a separate piece of art that is not made by that same artist. So if you haven't given it a shot because of that reason, I implore you to maybe give it a chance. Um, yeah, because believe it or not, it's a good game. That's my number nine. Hogwarts Legacy. Number eight. Number eight. My number eight game of 2023 is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Star Wars Jedi Survivor, man, man, oh man. So Fallen Order, Jedi Fallen Order, that was a great Star Wars game, right? I think we can all agree, great Star Wars game. Jedi Survivor is basically better in every conceivable way. Well, besides the performance, because holy shit, the performance mode when the game released was abysmal to say the least. And from what I've heard... And from what I've seen, the game still performs pretty poorly in general on PC. Which is a damn shame. Because more people should play it, at least on console if you can. 
The story hits harder. The combat's more varied with the introduction of lightsaber stances, among other things. And the customization and collectibles are actually worthwhile now. It's bigger, it's better, and it makes you feel more connected to the world of Star Wars. I really think that's all I need to say about it. They did, I believe they fixed the performance mode on consoles, like on, on modern day consoles. Um, but I will say this. The 30 F, the quality mode, like the 30 FPS mode at launch was not bad, right? It just, it, that obviously wasn't bad. The game was still absolutely playable. It's just a high action title like that. I want to play in 60 FPS and that performance mode at launch was not good at all. It was rough. Um, but I believe, like I said, I believe they cleaned that up on the modern day consoles and yeah, the game's fucking great. The game is fucking great. They expanded upon so much and it's just, oh man. It's, it's great. Star Wars Jedi Survivor. You should play that shit. It's a good time. Good time. Number seven. Number seven. My number seven game of 2023. I, I already knew. Okay, so I already knew this game was going to be really good um, based off of the demo that they released. And when they released that demo, I bought, I pre-ordered it immediately after I played the demo because the story hit harder right off the bat, right off the bat. Ladies and gentlemen, my number seven game of 2023 is Diablo four. Diablo four. I'm a sucker for good, for a good Diablo or Diablo S game. Um, and would you look at that? Diablo four is a memorable story with powerful cutscenes, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, from playing that demo, I knew from the very moment that I saw the first couple cutscenes in that game, I'm like, Oh, this fucker's going to go hard and hard. It goes my only real criticism. And I know, I know I'm in the minority on this one. Is that this is so, so fucking stupid knowing the context of Diablo 4? I wish it was more colorful. I wish it was something other than just reds, browns, blacks, and grays. Because I genuinely miss the colorful nature of Diablo 3. And yes, I fully understand that Diablo 4 is a much darker game. Um, not only just from a visual aspect, but from a storytelling perspective, it is a very much darker tone. And it's a game that brings things back to Diablo's roots. Okay. So I completely get that. Like, I know, I, I think actually I'm pretty fucking sure that a reason why Diablo four is the way that it is, is because of so much criticism of how Diablo three was in terms of how colorful it was and all that. It's how fuck I miss colors, man. You know, I like shit being a little colorful every now and again. Um, if I, things don't need to be all so drab and dreary when we're talking about fucking killing demons. Oh my God. No, but seriously, Diablo four is great. Diablo four is great. The amount of build crafting choices that you have. Um, the music is phenomenal as well. Like I said, the story actually in no offense to other Diablo stories. Okay. But I think this is easily the best one we've gotten 
And we already know Blizzard does a phenomenal job with cutscenes. That's a given. But just the story itself is so powerful and the characters are like larger than life and there's real purpose and real weight and real meaning behind these things that these characters are saying and doing. It's just, it felt so good to play a Diablo game or a Diablo, basically a Diablo-esque game that, like an isometric action RPG that really had a good story to it. Because I feel like they're kind of few and far between. And this one really hit that mark. So congratulations, Diablo 4. You guys fucking... Blizzard, you guys nailed that shit. So pats on the back. All around. Number six. Number six. My number six game of 2023. It's a sequel to a title that won a lot of people's game of the year. The year that that fucker released. Let's just say I beat that game the week before this one released. And this game was also number one on a lot of people's 2023 game of the year list. Not on mine though. And we'll talk about that in a second, but my number six game of 2023 is the legend of Zelda tears of the kingdom. Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, sequel to Breath of the Wild. Nearly everything in this game is pure bliss. The exploration, the enemy variety, the story that actually has weight, aka the tears in Tears of the Kingdom, if you know, you know. There's a reason why it's a sequel. To, uh, it, there's a reason why it's on a ton of Game of the Year lists, or top of the Game of the Year lists for a lot of people this year, or 2023. Um, but yeah, it's not mine, and that's okay. My only real issue with Tears is an aspect of the game that basically everyone else praises. That issue is the experimentation with the tools that are provided to you, the player. Now, okay, I get that kind of the whole point of Tears of the Kingdom is to experiment with things, is to try so many things out and to find things that work for you and, and to understand that there's so many different ways that you can do something or complete something. And maybe my fucking dumbass brain can't comprehend that, but due to the sheer amount of different types of weapons and just things you can make within this game, I get overwhelmed fast. Um, honestly, this is going to sound stupid, but I miss being able to conjure bombs out of thin air due to now potentially needing bomb flowers as a replacement. It's that's just one small thing, right? Is that before, and again, you have to recalibrate. You have to, you have to rethink about things. You have to think about things differently as to how you're going to approach them in this game versus breath of the wild. Because for those who don't know in breath of the wild, um, you had a rune that you could create a, like I said, a bomb out of thin air. You could create a round bomb and a square bomb and you could, you could throw them. They would regenerate over time. Um, it didn't take long to regenerate at all. But you, So you'd always have bombs on you at any given point in time. And in Tears of the Kingdom, you don't. You have to find bomb flowers. You have to get the Zonai devices, if I'm not mistaken. Like there, There's different 
there's different ways to get bombs, but you can't just get them. You don't just have them from the start of the game, basically. And again, it's a very, very small aspect to it. That's one thing, right? And I do genuinely enjoy the game otherwise. It's just, I, I do get overwhelmed because I'm a player that, I'm a player of games that likes having a set path to get something, right? Like if there's a better weapon out there, I, I want to go down that path to get that better weapon. I want to find that better weapon. I want to find that better item. But I, I like having a clear determined path to get it. And Breath of the Wild had the same thing where there's weapon degradation. Um, but now with the fusing aspect, weapons can last longer. They can be more powerful, blah, 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 blah. But I just, I liked having that feeling. It's why in Breath of the Wild, I, I tried my hardest just to beeline it for the Master Sword. And uh, this isn't going to spoil anything, but yes, the, the Master Sword is in Tears of the Kingdom as well. Um, and you go a different way about getting it, but that's that's the type of stuff that I look for in games in general. It doesn't need to be a Zelda game. I just like having a predetermined path to be like, okay, th this boss or this area has this thing. I want to go to that boss or that area to get that thing and then continue on my journey. And it's just, there's so many different things to make and to build and to think about in tears of the kingdom that I just simply get overwhelmed because the thing I'm worried about is, am I not using my resources to the best of their ability? I, I don't want to feel stupid. And I, I get, it's the whole point about the experimentation. Like you're supposed to test these things out to see what works for you and what doesn't. But my problem internally is if I take thing A and thing B and I can, and I fuse them together, am I making something that's actually worthwhile or did I just waste thing A and thing B when I could have used them for something else that makes something more powerful? That's what I hate. And I feel that constant issue in tears of the kingdom all the time. Another thing that I wish Tears of the Kingdom had was like a recipe book to be like, again, to have things cataloged so that if I have thing A and thing B, I can go in this recipe book or whatever and I can see, oh, thing A and thing B can be combined for this or thing A can be combined with this many different things to make this. That, that's what I want. And yes, there's guides online and whatnot. I just wish something existed in the game, maybe like a tooltip or whatever, just to make it easier to understand what you can and cannot do for making shit. But regardless, it's still number six on my list. Like, I feel like I'm talking a lot about the negative stuff right now, but it is still a genuinely fantastic game. The thing that tears of the kingdom, the things that tears of the kingdom does to separate itself from breath of the wild. Again, it's a, it's a direct sequel to breath of the wild. Um, but it tells a more meaningful story it has one of the coolest reveals of the year in terms of and like areas that you can go to because you don't if you go watch reviews of Tears of the Kingdom um or not not reviews don't watch reviews i'm sorry like obviously watch reviews if you're interested but in terms of like not spoiling yourself on things if you watch trailers for tears of the kingdom. There's a whole thing that is completely left like to your own discovery that is not shown at all in the trailers. And when you, when you happen upon it, when you go to it for the first time, you're like, wait a second, this game is twice, maybe three times as big as breath of the wild was. 
Holy shit. And it's the, the, that moment is so amazing. And you're revisiting all these places that you visited in breath of the wild, that you had experiences in breath of the wild with, and they're almost completely different. Um, and it's just, man, tears of the kingdom is a special game. It's a, it's a, the fact, the fact that you go into it thinking that, Oh, it's the same map, right? It's the same map as breath of the wild. And then you play for just even like just even a few hours, like two, three hours. And then you have that epiphany. You have that moment of like, holy shit, we're doing that. And and the, the other crazy part is then you take a step back from it all. Like you, you take yourself out of the game world for a second and you look back at it and you're like, wait a second, this is running on the fucking switch. What? Like that's man. Oh boy. Tears of the kingdom. Great fucking game. Great fucking game. And my number six game of 2023, ladies and gentlemen, it's Momo number five. Number five. My number five. We're in the top five. Finally, my number five game of 2023 is none other than a game that released that, uh, may or may not have won other actual game of the year awards. Maybe we'll say the game award for game of the year. That couldn't be it though. Could it? I'm just kidding. It is actually that game. Ladies and gentlemen, my number five game of 2023 is Baldur's Gate three. Baldur's Gate 3, my number five game of 2023. Why is it number five? Josh, why is it not your number one game of the year? This game won the game award for game of the year. This thing won game of the year awards fucking up your wazoo. Why isn't this your game of the year? I think other games are, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say. I mean, it's, it's my opinion, right? I think Baldur's Gate 3 is a monumental achievement in basically every aspect of game design period storytelling mechanics uh everything fucking Baldur's Gate 3 is the pinnacle of what you could probably achieve in video game design my problem is that uh it's too damn big so <laughs> I haven't beaten it yet I just I simply haven't fucking beaten it yet but here are a few things well, actually, let's let's reverse for a minute because I'm trying. I need to explain more for the folks out there who don't, who may not know what these games are. I should probably do a better job explaining what these games are. Baldur's Gate Three is a top-down um, CRPG, okay. And what that means is is that you are controlling a party of characters, and it is a you are like. It's like Dungeons and Dragons in the sense where you're guiding your characters where to go on the map. You're setting them up. Um, then you you have dice rolls for your actions, for your spells, whatever it may be. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's an RPG, but it's a, again, 
top down isometric. You control your party members. It's very, very gameplay system centric. If, 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 uh, if you will, but here are a few things that have happened during my still ongoing playthrough of the game. I played a reverse Uno card on a goblin camp and the goblin camp is one of the first kind of major things that you do in, uh, in act one of the game. But yeah, I'm not going to go further into that, but just know, like if you, if you think ever think about playing a reverse Uno card on somebody like that, that's kind of what it felt like to me when I, what I did to that goblin camp, I pushed a dwarf captain off his boat mid conversation. So like, basically our boats come up to one another, our rafts, if whatever, our boats come up to one another and this dude's talking shit and they want to fight me. And he comes over and I'm like, it just mid conversation. I have the option to, to fucking shove his ass. And so I did. And I passed the check because I was much bigger than that, than the dwarf. And I pushed him in the fucking water. Uh, a fight went underway. I laughed my ass off. I beat the other people and I uh, was on my merry way. And then because of how fucking crazy in depth this game is, I caused a major story beat to be skipped due to resting at a camp too many times, not realizing that game time continues regardless of what you may do, may, may be doing at any given time. So what happens is when you go out to adventure with your party, you have like your certain amount of health points for each player in your party. You have your inventory space, you have your health items, your equipment, whatever it may be. And then throughout your adventure, you can rest. So like you can do a short rest and a long rest. A short rest is you get a little bit of health back. You can get some spell points back to use some more spells. Um, and then a long rest is you go back to your camp and you fully regain your HP. You fully regain your spell slots. Um, you're fully refreshed to go back into the battle, but time continues. So like resting a night for a full rest means you're resting a night. And so that night passes by for everybody else in the game. So I literally skipped a major story beat because I, I was kept going back and forth to this area, trying to um, like kill bad guys. And then when I long rested for the final at, at that time, the final time I went back to that area, everyone was gone like not dead, but like everybody remaining was gone. And the person that I was supposed to meet there, like they, they had passed away because of the circumstances, but regardless, and, and it was, it was crazy. I didn't realize like, you know, when you play a video game, like a traditional video game, you're just playing a video game and you pause it, you save it, you close the game out. And then maybe you get back to it the next day, the next week, whatever it is. And you're back at that exact point in time, right? In Baldur's Gate 3, that's not the case. In Baldur's Gate 3, your time continues. Like, obviously, if you save the game and quit and come back, like, yes, you're starting right then and there. But if you're resting in, like, during game time, the game time continues. It's fucking bonkers. It was a mind-blowing thing that happened. Um, but yeah, this game's fucking insane. It allows you to do basically anything you want for better or worse. It deserves all the praise that it was received and then some. It's a monumental achievement in design and storytelling. Full stop. The characters are incredible. Um, the way I complained in I complained in Tears of the Kingdom 
about the amount of different types of experimentation for the stuff that you can make and the stuff that you can do. So I may sound hypocritical of myself right now, but with Baldur's Gate 3, I think it opens your eyes more to the possibilities of what you can possibly do. Because if you put yourself into, like one of the things that that Breath of the Wild was praised for back in that day when that released was we hadn't seen many games out at that time that allowed you to freeform experiment with what the game, like with the, with what the game gave you and basically just said, Hey, go try it. And if it works cool, but if it doesn't work, whatever, you know what I mean? With Baldur's gate three, it's such a realized world that if you're like, let's just use something as an example here. You are in a room with barrels that can explode. Like they're, they're like three barrels in a corner. Like you're just in a warehouse. Let's just say you're in a fucking warehouse in this game. And there are three barrels that can explode if you hit it with an arrow or whatever. Right. And those are just sitting in a corner. You can pick those barrels up, move them somewhere else, like move them to where enemies would go. Like if you kited enemies over to where you want them to go, you could lead them to those barrels. You can shoot those barrels. Those barrels explode. They cause damage to those enemies. They may fling those enemies back, whatever it may be. But it's just, again, obviously you can do similar things in, in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. But in Baldur's Gate 3, again, because of how realized this world is and how well these systems work with one another, basically, if you can think it, you can do it. Where I, again, it's going to sound fucking stupid and contradictory of what I said about Tears of the Kingdom, but with Baldur's Gate 3, I feel as though that if I was put into that situation in real life, right, even though it's a fucking fantasy game, if I was put in that situation in real life, I could take a step back and be like, well, I would do this. And then the beautiful part is, is that you more than likely can do that in the game. Like that's, that's what's fucking bonkers to me about Baldur's Gate 3. So, yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is my number five game of 2023 and is a fucking monumental achievement. It's insane what you can do in that game, and I haven't even scratched the goddamn surface. Haven't even scratched the goddamn surface. Maybe if I beat it, it'd be higher on my list, but I am still confident in my top four that... I mean, like I said, it's my list. Who fucking cares, right? But yeah, seriously, if you if you own a PC, um, you, I mean, it's also on modern consoles now. It's on PS Five and Xbox Series. You should you should try Baldur's Gate Three. I, I'm glad I did because I'm not typically the type of player that plays CRPGs that plays those D and D heavy type games. But I I've loved every second I've had with it, um, and. It's, it's remarkable. It's just fucking remarkable. You should absolutely try to play it if you haven't already. It is a time sink. Um, it is very in, how do I explain this? It's not like a, it's obviously not a game that you can really turn your brain off for. There's a lot, a lot of things you need to be paying attention to. But the beautiful part about that game is how well those things work together. Nothing feels 
nothing feels disconnected from the rest of the game. Everything plays so well together and everything's a a pivotal part of the entire experience. It's just, man, Baldur's Gate 3 is fucking rad. You should play it if you have the opportunity to. Um, And if you don't, that's okay too. Hopefully you're able to in the future. I mean, the game's not going anywhere and they're going to be updating it for a long time to come. So shout out to Larian Studios. You guys did a stellar job. Absolutely stellar job. But we need to move on to number four. I had Baldur's Gate 3 at number five. This game was bound to come up on my list sooner or later. For those that know me know that I love these games. What do I mean by these games? Oh, man. I mean Bethesda fucking RPGs. Ladies and gentlemen, my number four game of 2023 is Starfield. Oh, Starfield, the game that everybody loves to hate, but I fucking love it. I loved every second I had with it. It's a Bethesda ass Bethesda game. If you don't know what Starfield is, Starfield is the next big RPG made by the creators of the Elder Scrolls series, Fallout 3, New Vegas 4. I'm not going to say the fallout series because they didn't make the fallout series, but they, they made like the, they, they made the next generation of follow games with starting with Fallout three. They, they make great RPGs, man. What else can I fucking say? But a lot of the criticism towards Starfield is that they make the same RPG over and over and over again. But here's the thing. Uh, Starfield's an action RPG set in space. And, it's it, it it uses a lot of guns. It also has some magical powers as well that is integrated within the storyline. It's a Bethesda ass Bethesda game, guys. If you're no you know what you're getting yourself into if you buy a Bethesda RPG. Because spoiler alert, they're the same thing basically every time. And I fucking love them. I love every one of them. I can't get enough of them. And I knew from the moment that Starfield was announced, I was going to be hooked immediately. And guess what? I was. It has, in my opinion, the best story of a Bethesda game. And that's crazy. I know. I'll say a Bethesda RPG. It's the best story, in my opinion, of a Bethesda RPG. And it has a truly unique new game plus structure, which I'm not going to spoil here. But just know it's fucking awesome. And the amount of different things that can happen, depending on how many new game pluses you go, is fucking awesome. And as you heard from the intro, the opening theme that carries throughout the entire game, it never fucking gets old. It never fucking gets old. It's, oh my God. Starfield's awesome. Starfield gets a lot of hate. I understand. I completely understand. But... The other way I look at it is you motherfuckers had preconceived notions of what that game was going to be, not realizing it was going to be a fucking Bethesda RPG because that's what it is. That's what it always was going to be. That's what it always will be. It's a Bethesda ass Bethesda game. 
And I'm fucking glad it's here. I love it. I love it. I am only on, so I've done one new game plus, um, but I've done all of the faction quests uh, and uh, I've done a lot of the side content. I just, I fucking, oh my God. You know what? I, this talking, we talked about performance earlier in a couple other titles, but it's a game that I didn't even necessarily care that it was only 30 FPS on Xbox series X so much so that I never played it on. Like I have, I I'm fucking recording this to a PC right now that can obviously play AAA titles. I didn't play Starfield on PC until after I started my new game plus run. I played it on my series X in my living room, uh, the entire time up to that point at 30 FPS. And I had no complaints whatsoever. It's just, God damn. Starfield's awesome. It's, um, there, there are major things that are wrong with it though. Right? Like the fact that a lot of it is, is fast travel based and not exploration based. The fact that yes, a lot of the planets are bare are empty. A lot of the stuff on planets is procedurally generated. Um, but the main, the main story and the twists and the turns that it takes you on it was the first time in a fucking Bethesda RPG that I wanted to mainline the story. The first time I've ever wanted to do that. And it's not, it's not a detriment to the rest of the game because of how good the story is, in my opinion. And then once I had finished the story and I started my new game plus run, it was at that point that I dedicated a lot of my time to doing all the faction stuff. Um, and, taking more of my time exploring the world and getting to know more of the characters and so on and so forth and knowing the side stories and everything because it is a universe out there. It's not just one world that you're visiting different locations within. It's an entire universe that you're going to multiple different planets, systems, moons, whatever it is. And it's just Sarfield is it's a Bethesda ass Bethesda RPG. And I love every goddamn second about it. Um, yeah, I fucking, I was excited from the moment it was announced. I knew I was going to like it because I already knew what it was going to be. And for the folks out there who had different expectations of what they thought this game was going to be, it was never going to be no man's sky. It was never going to be that. Ever. So for those who've never played Starfield, it's not like No Man's Sky. It was never going to be like No Man's Sky. If you've played an Elder Scrolls game, if you've played a Fallout 3, New Vegas, or 4, you'll know what you're getting. If you liked those games, you're probably going to like this too. I know I did. And Starfield, yes, is not my game of the year, but it is my number four game of 2023 ladies and gentlemen we finally made it to the top three games of 2023 number three my number three game of 2023 is none other than final fantasy 16 i fucking love the fanfare music in this game. What you just heard. Now, think about that playing 
with a surround sound system around you after you just defeated a being that is larger than life itself, like the size of a fucking God. And that song plays after the fact goosebumps every goddamn time final fantasy 16. But here's how I want to start out final fantasy 15. Yes. 15 opens with a message that states a final fantasy for fans and first timers. I believe that statement to be incorrect is I believe Final Fantasy 16 is truly a Final Fantasy for fans and first-timers. The reason why I say that is because it's a Game of Thrones-type story that still oozes Final Fantasy instead of a convoluted plot to where you needed to watch a movie. I'm talking about Final Fantasy 15 for a second here. You needed to watch a movie, and they needed to literally redo chapters of that main story to make it make more sense. And then they had DLC chapters for each main character in that game because there were four technically. Um, and each of those tied into the main story. It was a convoluted fucking mess. Final Fantasy 16, no convoluted fucking mess. If you like Game of Thrones, and maybe this is a little too like simplistic of a, of a fucking comparison, but if you like Game of Thrones, you're probably going to like this story. It's very, very, very good. It's very dark. It's very deep. Um, a lot of emotional, a lot of powerful moments. It's fucking awesome. It has welcoming changes to the combat system that start simple and can become quite complex depending upon your ability choices. Because throughout the game, you get access to different icon abilities. Icons being like to traditional Final Fantasy summons, right? Like, for, for instance, I'm not going to spoil these, but like Ifrit is one of the major ones that you get, right? Um... And so you get those icon powers and you can switch out different ones depending upon the icons. And it's, again, the combat system can get incredibly in-depth. That starts off, again, very, very basic. Um, the larger-than-life icon battles. I have had moments in this game, my wife is my witness, where I would be fighting one of these icons and I would literally sit back and say out loud, holy shit, multiple times. And the music that kicks in during it as well is fucking incredible. They, it's, this game, I, oh man, oh man. So let's get into why folks may not like this game. Final Fantasy 16 is not, so I'll, I'll say not, I'm not going to say not. Final Fantasy 16 is a different type of Final Fantasy game. It is not a traditional Final Fantasy game in a sense that open, explorable spaces, this game doesn't necessarily have those. Um, instead, you have a clear-cut path through the main quest line and you have side quests that you can do throughout. You have hunts that you can do throughout where these are like higher ranked monsters that you can fight to get different materials and gill and rep and whatnot. And you have a hideout that you go back to for gear to conversate with folks, um, to see the progress on things, to learn more about the story, so on and so forth. 
So it's not a traditional Final Fantasy in the sense of massive exploration and getting off the beaten path and finding your own way, stuff like that. Instead, it is a modern-day Final Fantasy that really allows you to embody the characters that are present and thoroughly enjoy the story from start to finish and have some actually really good side piece content that adds to the overall momentum of the story that's being told. There is some side stuff that sucks. There are some fetch quests involved that don't really add anything to the overall narrative, and those exist regardless. I wish they didn't exist, but they do. But the thing that I like of what Final Fantasy 16 does is when... So the how Final Fantasy 16 works is you go to a major story objective, you complete that major story objective, you go back to the hideout, and then a few side quests pop up. Or you go to where the main quest objective is, and in that town, maybe a couple side quests pop up. But if you do those two, if you do those couple side quests or whatever, then that's all there is until the next major story beat happens. So you're kind of being drip fed these side quests. So you're not getting overloaded with them. So where you feel like now you're overwhelmed and now you like, Oh my God, I have to complete every single fucking one of these stupid things before I can continue on with the main quest. No, it's not that at all. Now it's, you go to the place where the main objective is. And if it's not some big bombastic story beat, then you'll probably have a little bit of downtime to where you can learn about a character that's in that zone and complete something for them. That thing may be a fetch quest. That thing may also tie back into the major story that's being told as well. So I'm not going to sit here and say that every side quest is great because they're not. There are a lot that are not good at all. But the fact that there aren't a lot of them makes me happier. And there there are a good amount that actually do lend themselves to the story, lend themselves to character development. And I, I thoroughly appreciate that. It feels like, so for those who don't know who makes, who has made final fantasy 16, it's business use. It's business unit 13, I believe is what they're called in square Enix. Um, they are creative, creative business unit 13, something, whatever they made final fantasy 14, the MMO, the MMO that, fucking sucked when it first released. And then they released final fantasy 14, a realm reborn and have released countless expansions since. And it's been one of the most critically acclaimed final fantasy games in general. That's ever released that final fantasy 14 that has a free trial up until, uh, up and through Stormblood, which is the second expansion, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, it's fucking free. You should try it. It's good. It's really good. Actually, it's not, it's not just good. It's really good. But the team that made that made Final Fantasy 16. And what people, if you don't know about Final Fantasy 14, something you should know is that they value the time that you're playing the game. They're not trying to waste your time, the time that you put into Final Fantasy 14. I feel that's the exact same way with 16. They're not wasting your time. Is the game cutscene heavy? Yes. It is trying to tell a very powerful and meaningful story. There are a lot of cutscenes but the cutscenes are really good. They're really good. They're not just there to be there. They actually fucking matter. 
this is going to sound dumb, but my only real criticism of Final Fantasy 16 is, well, twofold. One, the performance mode in this game is awful as well. So I switched back to 30 FPS and now it plays like remarkably better, which is crazy. Guys, for just a, just a little thought here for you. Depending upon how well a game is optimized, a game at 30 FPS can still run remarkably well and like feel smooth. And uh, Final Fantasy 16 is one of those games. Starfield is one of those games as well. A Jedi Survivor, one of those games. And so that's that's the one thing is that I wish I could play it in 60 FPS, but it's just, it's too jittery and stuttery and I fucking no. The other thing is, is that one of the other major characters in the game, her name is Jill. I wish she had more lines. Like there are, there are powerful moments that happen during the story where it's just Clive, the main character talking and Jill's just standing there. And I'm like, Jill fucking clearly has a thought about this too. Why aren't we giving her an, an opportunity to speak on this too? Like there were multiple times throughout the story where I'm like, why the fuck can, can she get a word in edgewise here? She's just standing there. I just, I wish Jill talked more. I wish she had more lines because the story that she has in this game is also very powerful. Um, and again, I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything. It's just, I, I highly recommend that fucking play final fantasy 16. If you have a PS five or just wait for the PC release to come eventually, because that'll, that'll come down the line. I'm pretty fucking sure. Uh, but yeah, final fantasy 16 is, it is a final fantasy game, regardless of what other people might want to tell you. It is absolutely a Final Fantasy game. In my opinion, it's one of the better ones that's released. And there is a demo out there. The demo is technically a uh, uh, a prologue to the main story of the game. So, I mean, it, obviously, if you don't play the demo, you'll play it in the main game if you buy the main game. But like, if you want a if you want a little vertical slice of what the game is, you can download the demo. It's on PlayStation Five. It's free, and I, I highly recommend, I highly recommend it. Like the combat only gets better because of the amount of customization that you have for it. Um, the characters only get better because of the story that's being told you like the, the battles. Oh my God. Those icon battles are fucking insane Insane. some of the best moments I've ever had in a video game are from those icon battles. And I'll just say this. If you never play Final Fantasy 16, I highly recommend you look up a playthrough on YouTube um, or at least watch the cutscenes on YouTube and then watch the icon battles. Because while you may not want to play it or you may not have the opportunity to play it, I want you to experience this in any way you can. It's that good. It is genuinely that good. So Final Fantasy 16, my number three game of 2023. Which means it's time for number two. My number two game of 2023. People may have th may people may have thought this was going to be on a number one, based based off how much I fucking talk about this in the uh, pro talk uh, channels and whatnot. But it's not. That's going to go to something else. But I think it still deserves a place on this list. I think it deserves a number two spot on this list. My number two game of 2023 is Sea of Stars. 
Sea of Stars, ladies and gentlemen, my number two game of 2023. The reason why I said Sea of Stars at the beginning is because it's the running joke. It's the running joke. Sea of Stars. If you guys know what Chrono Trigger is, if you know what Golden Sun is, shout out Golden Sun, one of the best games of all time. My favorite game of all time, as a matter of fact. Um, old school, 16-bit RPG, like the old school ones on the Super Nintendo and the Game Boy Advance. It's got that look. It's got that feel. It's got that vibe. But... What do I love about games nowadays? I love the modern gameplay aspects, ladies and gentlemen. So if you took all of that from back in the day, everything that you loved about those games from back in the day, and you added some modern gameplay elements to the mix, ladies and gentlemen, you have Sea of Stars. The story along with the twists, the art style and the animations, the changes to combat, which allows systems to be fresh within a crowded genre. The music! This game is fucking amazing. Amazing. I'm not, I real. I genuinely don't have much else to say about this game. You, you should absolutely play it. Um, I think it's a game for everybody. I genuinely mean that. Um, if you have, if you have Xbox game pass, if you have PlayStation plus it is on those services. So I, I mean, it's not on the PlayStation plus essential fucking tier. Also, fuck you, PlayStation, your fucking dumbass PlayStation plus tiers now. But, uh, if you have PlayStation plus, I think it's the extra tier. Or if you have, if you have game pass, then, uh, you can get sea of stars. It's on those platforms. I also think it's like, uh, 25 bucks normally. And I just, I cannot praise this game enough. I, as soon as I saw the announcement on like the announcement from Sabotage Studios, um, they also made the messenger for those who don't know. Um, you should just go, go look up sea of stars, please. Like I said, it's an old school. It has the old school, like SNES RPG feel to it while bringing modern gameplay elements to the fold. that just make it that much better in my opinion. And there's, oh, it's just comfy. It's cozy. It has a great story. I've been talking about story a lot in this top 10, but I truly like, I truly feel a story kind of can carry a game through, but sea of stars is remarkable. And I backed it immediately when it was available on Kickstarter. I was following it ever since its inception. And I just, I had a feeling this was going to be right up my alley when I saw the announcement for it. And lo and behold, it was so, Again, I cannot recommend Sea of Stars enough. I understand it's not going to be for everybody, but please, please give it a chance. It's funny, and it, it's it's not like a hi-fi rush situation where it doesn't try too hard because it, do, it doesn't. It doesn't try too hard with its humor. It's just genuinely funny in spots, and it's it's emotional as well. It's just a, you look at that game from the outside looking in, and you're like, okay, it's just another one of those. But then you actually play it and you're like, oh man, this is actually something really special. And you can tell that the developers really put their heart and souls into this project. And I talked about at the beginning of this episode where games are a real, like in my opinion, like the best art form that's available today in media. And Sea of Stars is the embodiment of that art form, in my opinion. 
that in a Baldur's Gate 3, in terms of the level of passion and commitment that was put into it, please play Sea of Stars. It's that good. It's, I can't, like I said, I can't say much else about it. You just need to go play it for yourself. Get hooked in, get immersed, let the music take you away. Just love these characters in this world and have a blast because that game's a fucking blast. Sea of Stars, ladies and gentlemen, number two game of 2023, which leaves, ladies and gentlemen, number one, my game of the year for 2023. Again, this is another one from its announcement that I already knew I was going to like it because I've loved every other one of them that's released in the franchise. I just didn't understand how much I was going to fucking love this. I adore this video game. From the moment it started to the moment I rolled credits, I had a smile on my face the entire damn time. Ladies and gentlemen, my game of the year for 2023 is Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Mario Brothers Wonder is my game of the year for 2023. Super Mario Odyssey, for those who don't know, also left me with a smile on my face throughout the entire time playing through it. I believe it to be the best 3D Mario game that has ever released. <gasps> I know. Fucking crazy. Better than Super Mario 64? <gasps> Better than Super Mario Sunshine? <gasps> Better than Super Mario Galaxy? <gasps> Better than Super Mario Galaxy 2? Yes. Super Mario Odyssey is the best 3D Mario game that's ever released. But I might blow your mind away with this one. Super Mario Brothers Wonder is the best 2D Mario game that has ever released, in my opinion. Yes, better than World. Yes, better than 3. The Wonder Seeds that change nearly every level in the game to something magical. The badges, which can either make things easier, more difficult, or simply add mechanics into a Mario game that have never existed before. The new power-ups that continue to add new gameplay concepts into an established franchise. The callbacks to previous Mario games, a la Odyssey, which continually pull at the nostalgia heartstrings, and this also includes the return of secret routes and stages. This game has anything and everything you would want from a 2D Mario game and just fucking sends it to 100. I'm not kidding when I say this. You play you play Super Mario, Super Mario World, right? And you have those levels memorized like the back of your hand. You know where the secret routes are. You know how to get the specific... Uh, you know how to do all the things, whatever. You're playing Super Mario Brothers 3. You know how to get the whistles and all this shit. But Super Mario Brothers Wonder just 
takes everything you love about a traditional 2D Mario game, flips it 180 on its head, and just takes you on the ride of your fucking life. I I mentioned the Wonder Seeds earlier. In every in nearly every actually fuck it. In every single level of the game, mainline, like main level, like not not like the the puzzle levels or anything like that, which there are. But like in every main level of that game, there's a wonder seed. And if you collect the wonder seed, it completely transforms the level into something else entirely. So much so you could completely change perspectives. Like instead of side scrolling, you could be top down. It's the, it's so fucking good. It's so awesome to play that game and just have all your expectations blown out the fucking window. I love this game. I absolutely love it. When I was playing Odyssey when that released and just seeing what that game did and seeing how it made all these callbacks to all these beloved games within the franchise and at the end of the game, spoiler alert, you go to fucking Peach's Castle and then the old theme kicks in from Super Mario 64 and you're able to even jump into some of the paintings like in, in the game. And it just, it just brings you back. Or when you're just playing through Odyssey in general and you eventually come up to a 2D portion of a, of a level, right? And you're just transported immediately back in your mind to back when you're playing those games as a kid. Wonder does that. Wonder does the same thing while not doing the same thing that Odyssey did. It's remarkable what those at Nintendo were fucking doing with this franchise because you think you've played a 2D Mario game, you've played them all, right? You think you have. You, you think you played a 3D Mario game, you played them all. But no, that's when you had your, that's when you had your Sunshines, your, your, uh, your Galaxies, your Odysseys when it comes to 3D Marios. That's when you have a wonder in a 2D Mario. I never thought they'd be able to do something like this to a 2D Mario game. And they, they didn't only nail it. They, again, they made my favorite game of that year. They made my favorite game of 2023. I couldn't put it down. I could not put it down. I loved every single second of it. I wanted to complete every stage. I wanted to go back and do all of the extras within every stage. I wanted to find every secret. I wanted to do that. I didn't feel like I needed to at all. I just, I was so enamored with what they created that I always wanted to just jump right back in and go through it one more time and try to get everything in each level. It's so good. It is so fucking good. And I'm telling you, if you have that nostalgia for old Mario games like I do, and you do play Wonder, and those moments happen, like like in Odyssey, you're just you're I'm telling you, you're gonna be transported back like that fucking scene in Ratatouille where the food critic eats the ratatouille and was transported right back to when his mom made it, right? Like you're it's that that moment's gonna fucking happen to you. And that you're gonna have that smile on your face and it's never gonna leave. And you're going to be like this, this is why games are so special. This is why this art form is so special. It's for moments like that. 
and my moment in like that in Super Mario Brothers Wonder might be your moment in Sea of Stars, might be your moment in Final Fantasy 16, might be your moment in Alan Wake 2, might be your moment in Resident Evil 4 Remake, might be your, your moment in Street Fighter 6. But that's why this medium is so fucking amazing is that you can have those moments that transport you back to a different period in time where things were simpler where things were just more easygoing, where you could just have fun without having to worry about anything else. That's why I love video games so much. That's why I love Super Mario Brothers Wonder so fucking much. And that's why Super Mario Brothers Wonder is my game of the year for 2023. If you have a Switch, please, please play it. If you, if you're a Mario fan, like if you're not a Mario fan, then obviously you can stay away. You're probably not going to enjoy this one, but it just, the way that it just, the way that it does new things in a genre that we just haven't seen new things been done in. It's remarkable. I love it. 2023, man. The best year of games that I think I've ever experienced in my lifetime. Banger after banger after banger after banger, month after month after month after month. It never stopped. The train never got off the tracks. Games came out that were just amazing all year round. And I cannot wait to see what happens in 2024. Cannot wait. And luckily, we don't have to wait much longer anymore. Because we're already in it, and games are already releasing. Ladies and gentlemen, let's run through the list one more time. Number 10. Forza Motorsport, number nine, Hogwarts Legacy, number eight, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, number seven, Diablo 4, number six, The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, number five, Baldur's Gate 3, number four, Starfield, number three, Final Fantasy 16, number two, Sea of Stars, and number one, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for my games of 2023 episode. Um, I'll obviously link the list and the honorable mentions in the description of the show. So feel free to check those out. Hopefully this opened your eyes to a different game that's out there. Um, let me know what your game of the year was for 2023. You can uh, send me a Twitter, uh, Twitter. You can send me a tweet over on Twitter at a fantastical pod. So send me a tweet over there. Let me know what your favorite game of the year for 2023 was. Um, or you can send me an email at a journey through the fantastical at gmail.com. Yes, that is the actual email I remembered this time. Don't you worry. And no, I'm not changing it. So uh, there you go. We're going to keep things archaic in terms of communication here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 2024 is officially here. 2023 was a remarkable year for video games. It was an absolutely shitty year for video game company layoffs. And I feel for everybody that was impacted there. Keep their stories alive. I really hope that anybody and everybody that was affected are able to land back on their feet as soon as possible if they haven't already. And I truly wish that 2024 is the absolute best year for you is humanly possible. And we keep on trucking. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey through the fantastic. Oh, I'll be back next time. We'll talk about most anticipated games of 2024. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, have a great year.
Peace out. Thank you.